Well, good morning, everyone. You made it. You remembered the half-hour time change. It's kind of a mini time change, right, for our daylight savings. Um, Would you please stand this morning and sing? We're going to worship our God.
are so wonderful, and we consider it a pleasure, God, and a privilege to stand before you today and worship your holy name. Chains be broken, lives be to a 
today, Lord, as we begin this new series in our soul, it seems appropriate, God, to just to let you in and to invite you into our hearts to search them. God, as David wrote in his psalm, Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and point out anything in me that offends you. Lord, today that's our prayer, God. Search us. We invite you in.
A lot of times after we spend some time singing, we immediately go into prayer uh, in order to talk to God that way. But in reality, we've been standing right now singing a prayer to God, singing to God about the condition of our heart, where we stand. I wonder if you can actually imagine yourself literally doing what that song said, holding your heart before God, just holding it in his presence and saying, God, here's my heart. Here's my heart, Lord. I wonder if you did that today, what it would look like. Would you, would you just kind of hold it right here, kind of tentatively? Here, here it is, God. Look at it, see what it is. Maybe you've had a really good week and you'd be going, here's my heart, woo! You know, it's been a good one. Or, or maybe you'd find yourself saying, here's, here's my heart, God. I really don't want you to see it. Whatever it is in worship today, we have the chance to present our hearts to God, to hold it before him, And to say to him, God, you see it. You see the reality of my heart. Now you speak the truth that I need to hear. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm glad you guys got to stay dry on the way into church today. First service was a little bit different. We were doing a Noah thing on the way in. And we had the umbrella crew out there bringing people in. And it was was a great time. It was a lot of fun. So you were drier. Uh, Congratulations on being here on time today. Uh, I know we we did that half-hour shift. So it'll be a few minutes from now that somebody's going to come walking into the room and just be polite and move over and let them have a seat. and, And they'll get it next week, and that'll be just fine. So every week we take communion. And part of what I love about the opportunity for communion is in a real sense, it serves as a, it's a pause button. We press the pause button, we stop. And you see in modern life, in modern American life, we don't like the pause button. We like the fast forward button. We like to race. We like to move through it. We like to get ahead. We want to keep it rolling. 
And, and for these few minutes, we actually just stop. And in the stopping, we're able to hold our heart there and say, here's my heart, Lord. The heart I forget about all the time because I'm so busy doing everything else and running and, and just having life go. So we sang a few songs. Your heart is getting settled. And now I'd encourage you to be quiet and listen to the rain. To be quiet and think about the state of your soul. To hold your heart in your hands and say, here's my heart, God. Speak what is true to me this morning. Our servers will come and a tray will come to you. Take a piece of the bread and the cup. Listen to the quiet music. And just enjoy this moment to pause in the presence of your creator. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you so much for this moment to be able to be quiet in your presence, to truly be still and know that you are the God of our lives. And now I pray that you would um, 
continue to speak to our hearts the truth that we need to hear today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I wonder if you're familiar with the word paradigm or paradigm shift. You've heard of it before. Maybe you're familiar with it in a general sense. It's a philosophical term. I'm not going to go into, you know, hyper depth on the meaning of it or anything like that. But basically, we all have a certain way that we view the world. We have a certain way that we view circumstances. And that's been formed by everything from the experiences you've had throughout your life to the values you hold. All those things come together so that when you see something, you make a split-second decision and you interpret it based on all the stuff that's going on inside of your head and all the stuff that is kind of built up in your life throughout the years. That's your paradigm, and you take your paradigm to certain things and look at them a certain way. One of the greatest paradigm shifts of all time, of course, was when we had this realization that the earth was not the center of the universe and that everything wasn't revolving about around the earth, but quite the opposite, the earth was revolving around the sun. That was a huge paradigm shift. I remember going through a personal paradigm shift uh, in 2001, just prior to 9-11, Some friends took us to Israel, and we were there. We were about to enter the city of Jerusalem. And as you're entering the city of Jerusalem, uh, you do that by by going to the other side. You go on over to the Mount of Olives so that you can have that, just that classic view that we're all used to, seeing the Dome of the Rock in the distance and the old city of Jerusalem, those, those city walls. And so we're looking at it, and as you're looking at it, you're actually standing in the middle of a graveyard. You're standing in the middle of a cemetery. It it is one of the most prominent cemeteries in all of Israel. And it's an important cemetery. I did a little reading on it. There are somewhere between 75,000 and 150,000 people buried in this cemetery. Now you wonder, how in the world could there be such divergence? Did they have, you know, a bad person in charge? What's going on? This cemetery is about 3,000 years old. There have been people being buried here for that length of time. And the Jewish people want to be buried here because they believe that the Messiah will enter Jerusalem. And when the Messiah enters Jerusalem, they want to be the first ones in line. They want to be right there, ready to go with the Messiah into Jerusalem. In fact, they even, they point their feet toward the city. And it literally said this, so that they don't even have to turn around or turn over. They can just stand up and march with the Messiah right on into that capital city. So we're at this cemetery, and our guide is explaining, you know, the the details of the cemetery. Menachem Begin, former prime minister, is buried there. Other prominent Israelis are buried in this place. And he's explaining, and while he's explaining it, I'm distracted. I'm distracted because I'm seeing what you're seeing in this image. I'm seeing graves covered by stones. And I had a little bit of a, a paradigm going here. I had, a, I had a view going based on some experiences earlier in the day. You see, this area is not far from, a Jew, from an Arab neighborhood. And we had been over in that Arab neighborhood, and we were, we were checking out some stores there and whatever. And then we came over to this cemetery And we're there and I see these rocks and my immediate inclination was to think that someone had come and desecrated this cemetery. That people were coming and just throwing rocks out there in a way of kind of saying, you know, we we don't like these people. We don't like what's going on. And, And it was really kind of bugging me. And so I finally asked the guide, what's up with the rocks? What's the deal with that? What are the rocks on the, on the graves all about? And, And he said, well, this is, this is pretty intriguing. When a person comes to visit their loved one, They'll take a stone from the side of the grave and they'll put it on top 
of the mausoleum. And I'm telling you what, I had this immediate, absolute immediate shift in perspective. I went from seeing a place that I thought had been disgraced to a place that was incredibly honored. I went from seeing something that I thought was just ugly and wrong to something that was incredibly beautiful. And I went from not looking at the graves that had the rocks on them, but I started looking for graves that didn't have rocks. Because the ones that didn't have rocks were the ones that nobody was coming to visit anymore. Nobody was paying attention. That's a paradigm shift. When you take what you assumed and apply it to something, and you don't realize that there's really something else going on in that situation. Well, it was not long ago, probably about a a year, year ago, that I read a quote. And the quote for me caused a spiritual paradigm shift. Now, when you see the quote, you're going to say, Dennis, really, you're a pastor, you've read the Bible, you kinda, you're religious. How, how in the world has this quote rocked your world? And in reality, I understood the truth on kind of a surface level. I understood it. I saw it. But it really took some spiritual meaning, just a whole new depth, as I rolled that quote over and over in my head. I'll tell it to you in a couple of minutes, but I want to tell you what we're doing for the summer. Tell you the approach we're taking. We are this summer talking about our souls. This is going to be the summer on the soul. And in doing so, we're combining two traditions of our church, traditions that we've held for some time. The first tradition goes back to our Shanahan Junior High days. And that was that during the summer, we like to do something that we call a dive. And so we dive into a particular topic, a particular book of the Bible, a particular character in the Bible, a particular theological term, and we just go ahead and, and wrestle with it at a deeper level. Not just a quick drive-by, but we try to really get down deep into it. And so this summer, for example, we're going to be talking about deep issues when it comes to the issue of the soul. The other tradition goes back to our old building. At the old building... We would, during the summer, have some of the leaders from our church have the opportunity to speak. And we did that in part because we truly believe in Ephesians four eleven and 12, where it says, part of our job is to be training up people to do the work of the ministry. And so it gives people the opportunity to go ahead and have this chance to share with you and share with you in some degree of depth, and at the same time to be encouraged in the gift that God is developing in them. So I have the schedule for you so you can see where we're going. I'm booking, bookending this. I'll be speaking today, and I'll be speaking at the end of the series. And in the middle, you'll have John Beaker, Jason Aubrey, and Brian Papp. They'll each do two teaches along the way, and you see the topics that they'll be covering. I have two great challenges today. My first challenge is to whet your appetite, to make you want to come back for the rest of the summer, to convince you that it's worth talking about your soul and worth thinking about your soul. So that's one of my missions today. My other mission is to make sure that I don't preach all six of their sermons before they get a chance to do it. Because that would be really bad if poor John Beaker is getting up here next week and he's got to talk about what is a soul and I've already stolen his thunder and now he's complaining the, the, or he's explaining the, the beauty of computer chips to us or something. So, so we want him to have his topic and all of them to have their topic. So my main goal today is just get you excited about thinking about that part of you called a soul. So let's get to that quote. Here it is. We are not human beings on a spiritual journey We are spiritual beings on a human journey. Now, if you go home today and you gurgle this one, you're going to find it attributed to a lot of different people. There are a lot of people trying to claim this quote. 
uh, going back probably about 100 years ago, I believe it is, there was a fellow who started this quote, and it was a little different then. He said something like, we are not human beings enjoying spiritual, we are not human beings enjoying spiritual experiences. We are spiritual beings enjoying human experiences. And others have morphed it along the way to say something like this. Now, again, you're looking at the quote and you're going, wow, you're calling this profound and deep. Uh, have you ever read the Bible? Do you know God? I, you know what? This quote, this quote really rocked me. Because if I were truly honest about my perspective, if I really just kind of unwrapped where I was, I I believed fully that I'm a human being and that I have a spiritual component to my life. Instead of really looking at myself as a truly spiritual being, and I happen to be experiencing the part of that spiritual life that is human for a bit. I mean, if you could could use this analogy, okay, just think about this this way. Uh, let's see if you're any different than the first service. Does anybody remember being in the womb? Yeah, same deal. I don't know what that's all about. So anyway, nine months, for some of us a little shorter, for some of us a little longer, nine months we're incubating in mommy. Now think about this for a moment. What if you thought that was the ultimate of your existence? That's where it all happened. That's what it's all about. Can you imagine all the life you'd have missed out on if if nine months, if that's what your existence was all about? If you could do it in proportion, just think about this for a moment. Nine months, let's say you live to be 90 years old. Nine months is just a very, very small fraction of your existence here on this earth. If you live to be 90 years old, it is a minuscule fraction of the entirety of your existence the entirety of your eternal existence and yet we live as if this is what it's all about here is what it's all about and we miss the point that we are not human beings who just happen to be on a little bit of a spiritual journey but we are spiritual beings enjoying a human journey The spiritual side of you is incredibly important. And the spiritual side of you involves your soul. We all get this part. We see it. We fix it up. We understand our bodies. But that inside, that soul, that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, like I said, I don't want to steal John's talk because his talk is literally, what is a soul? Uh, But hopefully this will help a little bit. Seems like the last few weeks, our family has been in touch a little bit too much with death. Um, I told you that I did the funeral for a friend's mom a couple of weeks ago. And then this past week, you know, we're, we're reading an article about one of the people that Shelly went to school with who died in a car accident. And then yesterday, I'm Facebook looking, and one of my friends, is it's his birthday. And I know that he's been going in for cancer treatments and, and that he's actually at the point of his life now that he's involved in hospice. And so I'm looking at that, and later that day, about 4 o'clock, there's another post, and his wife Kelly says he's gone. Died on his birthday. I don't know if you've ever been present when somebody dies. You know, in our society, we're not in touch with death as much as we might have been 100 years ago. I don't know if you've ever been present when somebody dies. I, I've got to say that, honestly, it, makes, it may sound strange saying this, but, but it's one of, the, one of the privileges I really cherish as a pastor, to be there as someone is passing from this life to the next life. 
And I've been there many times, and one of them was with my friend Carol. She died on a, on a January afternoon. She had worked with me for a number of years, and we were good friends. And when I got to the hospital, she was still at that point in her life that um, her breathing was really labored. It was very difficult. She was struggling. And you just kind of hate seeing people at that point, you know, watching that struggle going on. And then, and then the struggle starts to calm down a little bit. And the breathing becomes shallower. And the breaths become a little less often. And before you know it, it's a full minute and even more between breaths. And you're wondering when the last breath is going to happen. And you're standing there as a family and you might be talking or whatever. And, and then you realize another breath hasn't happened. And it's just amazing in that moment to see the literal change that takes place. That person who was just there a moment ago is lifeless. They're gone. All I'm looking at now is, is their container, their clay pot, the thing they use to live life in this world, but, but they are gone. That, without going into all of John's sermon, is your soul. It's the you inside of you. It's the, it's the spiritual you that you know is there that is apart from the container that you are held in. Jesus acknowledged that we have more than one dimension as a human being. He quotes, uh, when he's asked what's the most important commandment, he quotes and says, you, I'm... I'm lost. Boom, boom, boom. The verse went away. Let's go with this one instead. Talking about your soul is incredibly important. It's in, there's nothing, I think, more important. And that's part of the reason that we're talking about this this summer. Look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 16. He says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything more important than your soul? And his assumed answer is no. He doesn't assume that the people sitting there are going to go, well, you know, I like my goat over here. No, that's not it. He's saying, absolutely not. There's nothing more important in the world than this part of me, inside of me, that is my soul. Jesus referred to the fact that we are heart, soul, mind, and strength. Soul is an essential part of who we are. You go back to the beginning, you'll go back to Genesis. Beautiful verse in Genesis chapter 2. Where it says, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. I mean, this is just an absolute beautiful creative process. Where he takes this dirt and he starts to form it. And he forms it into something that, that is just absolutely beautiful laying there. But it is lifeless. It is still. And then he leans over and says, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living person. And the literal there is, he became a living soul. Something was there that wasn't there just moments ago. And the powerful breath of God caused that to be. If you look throughout the Bible and see the, the times that the breath of God is involved in the creative process, it's beautiful. Inspiration of the word of God literally means God breathed. He breathed his word into existence, and he breathed human beings into existence. Now, clearly, you go home today, and you look at your dog, and your dog seems to have something going on in there that looks like life, and it is. And in fact, the same term is used of an animal, that they become a living soul. So you're like, well, what's the difference? I mean, am I just like a dog? Are we all the same? There's a huge difference in quality of human life from this regard. First of all, God actually breathed life into us himself. 
But beyond that, the Bible says God created us in his image and in his likeness. You look at your dog and you say, my dog has a personality. And it is true that dogs in our neighborhood have a personality. The next door neighbor dog, sweetest dog I've ever met in my life. Two doors down, vicious as anything, scares me to death, don't want to go outside when he's outside. They have different personalities. Having said that, they don't have personhood. We have personhood, and that personhood is part of what it means to be a soul. Jesus said it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. All those components come together to form your soul. Now, when it comes to caring for our soul, and it's important because he says there's nothing more important than your soul, how do we care for our soul? Well, there are two things going on. One is a more passive side of caring for your soul. God actually provides the care. Sometimes we don't have to care for ourselves. God provides the care for us. Take you to one of the most common, well-known passages in the Bible. Psalm 23, written by David. Some of you could quote it right now. I don't even have to put the words on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And say it with me, he restores my soul. That's part of what God does for us. God actually, as a good shepherd, provides restoration for our souls. So sometimes we just receive the restoration that's being given to us by God. There's another side, though, not of just receiving the restoration, but actually being actively involved in caring for your soul. There's a psalm that I'm sure I had read many times in my life. But it's only probably in the last year and a half that I saw it. I heard some teaching on it. And and this psalm just, it came to life for me. It's only three verses long. It's incredibly short. It's found in the Psalms of Ascent, the Psalms that were used as the people went off to worship. And I'd like to show you this verse today in a couple of different versions. And just let, let the verses speak to you and unfold before you. David writes these words. I'm starting in the... Um, English Standard Version, which is just probably the most literal, literal way of saying this, okay? It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. You see what he does? This isn't the Lord providing rest for my soul. I have calmed and quieted my soul. He takes active participation in this. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let me give it to you in the version that we use here at church, uh, New Living Translation. And in fact, as you're leaving today, the table's at the back. We have copies of that available. You can go ahead and take one. We'd love for you to read it, read the Bible. And, and what we like about this version is it speaks in plain American English. So you're not you know, confused by the English. You can just see what it absolutely says. So here what we read. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern, concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. So the you within you. Like a weaned child who is no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And then he ends the same, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. New International Version, just a little different twist. And there's one word here I really want you to catch. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with things myself with great matters 
or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. That's what we're talking about. Just a true contentment, a satisfaction in soul and spirit. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. So let's go back to the first version again. And I want to just kind of tear this apart as it pertains to understanding the care of our souls. David begins this passage by talking about two enemies of our souls. Two ways of living that if we pursue them, our souls will be destroyed. Our souls will dry up. We will, just, we will not be all that God intended for us to be. And they're both found in verse 1. The first part says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Here David is talking about arrogance. And he says, arrogance will destroy your soul. Why does, why does arrogance destroy us? Why does pride and haughtiness destroy us? Because ultimately, if a person is ultimately a proud, they believe this, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. I don't need anyone outside of myself. And it is only when we come to a place of true humility that we realize we are absolutely dependent on God. We are intertwined with other people. We need others and we need God. It is only when we come to that place of realizing our true depth of need that we can be in a place to have our souls nourished and restored. But when we're living an arrogant lifestyle, when we're just saying, I can do it, I have this handled, our soul begins to dry up. Second part of the verse. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. Arrogance destroys our soul, and so does the wrong kind of ambition. Now, not all ambition is bad. Ambition is what causes us to get out of the bed in the morning, go to work, make money so we can eat. So it's not all bad to have something in you that wakes you up and drives you to want to go ahead and continue to live. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is a height of ambition that becomes sick. And when I look at these two things, I really believe that this one in particular is the one that is causing dry rot in the modern American soul. Because we are absolutely ambitious. Whether it is the ambition on our job where we put in 55 hours and we think, if I just put in five more, I'll get ahead a little bit further. The ambition that we have for our children, that we think if we involve them in this and this and this and this and this, maybe then they'll get the scholarship and that'll get them to Harvard. And before you know it, they'll be president. And we want just the very best for them. And we're driving them and we're pushing them. And in the process, their souls are withering. Their souls are drying up because we're caring for the outside of them, but we're not caring for the inside of them. Ambition will kill your soul. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. And so much of what we're going to talk about this summer comes down to this line. If you want to grow your soul, if you want to care for your soul, you're going to have to begin by slowing down a little bit. And unfortunately, some of you just checked out. Because you're like, there's, no, there's got to be something I can do. There's got to be an exercise. There's got to be a list. There's got to be, give me a Bible reading plan. Give me something. Give me something to do. And a lot of it really comes down to finally calming and quieting our insides. To just stop, to pause to be still and know that God is God. 
I have calmed and quieted my soul. And then he uses this picture. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now this is a picture that I've been able to see three times in my life. David writing this may be writing from the practical experience of that very day. Maybe he had seen one of his children being fed by his mother. Maybe the Spirit is just reminding him of a memory of earlier times. There's one textural variant that suggests that that last line says um, that it's, he's referring to the weaned child that is with him. In other words, the baby is sitting there right there, content and quiet. But here's what he's referring to. This baby, I don't know about you, here's the way my babies work. When they were hungry, they weren't nice. I mean, when they were hungry, they were screaming. And, and even when they're very, very, very little babies, you know that little, little, little tiny baby cry that sounds kind of like a chicken or a machine gun? <laughs> that one. And, and, and it's amazing how quick it goes from that to, you know, you're just all out monster scream. And they're kicking and they're thrashing. And you're thinking if you're a theologian, you little sinner. And, you know, you kind of got that mentality. But, but here's the thing. They're not sinning, Right. They realize something. Actually, they don't. God's telling them. You are absolutely and totally dependent on other human beings. And if you don't make some noise, they'll think you're okay. So let them know. Let them know you're there. Let them know you're hungry. And they do. And then you pick up that baby and you start to feed that baby. And it's funny that even as the food is starting to go into that baby, they're still kind of doing the thrash, right? They're still kind of, I, I can't get it in fast enough. But then, but then the baby finally starts to drink. And as the baby starts to drink, the baby starts to calm down. And I'm blown away how quickly we go from fit throwing to the eyes are drifting. And the eye, you know, the eye, they just, and you're, you're kind of having to, come on, wake up, we got to finish. How can we go from, wah, to, come on, wake up, we got to finish the bottle. And then the bottle is done. And that baby, you just bring that baby up on you. And you kind of smell the formula. Not a smell I miss. And you smell the formula, smell that baby. And that baby is just absolutely limp and content laying against that parent. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a baby who's had enough. Like a baby who is full and just enjoying resting against the, against the chest of Father God in heaven. It's a beautiful picture. He ends by saying, hope in the Lord. That's the only way you're going to find this kind of rest for your soul. So as we're going through this series, we're going to talk about our souls, the condition of our souls. And I'm going to ask you a question. question that the old guys and the older women used to ask, bygone era, an era that was less materialistic and more spiritually minded. They'd ask this question that would probably be a little awkward in modern times. We ask things like, how's work? How are the kids? How's fishing? How about dumb cubs? Stuff like that. These people would ask them each other this question. How is it with your soul? How are things going in there? You know, it's funny, we walk into a place like church and we all, we put on a pretty good look. We dress all right. I mean, today some people came in looking ratty because they were wet. But outside of that, you know, you, you make the effort to look nice and smell nice and, and be nice. And, and yet it is quite possible that inside right now you are melting. You're falling apart or you're screaming inside or you're so sad you can barely stand it. Or you're just going, I am in the best place I've ever been. The you inside of you. How is it with the you inside of you? 
How is it with your soul? I've got a couple of questions that I want you to work on this week. That one might work for you. Let me go ahead and ask it a little different way. Where is my soul on the hungry baby scale? Okay, so take that hungry baby picture. Where are you? Are you laying in the crib thrashing, screaming, nobody's paying attention to me? Ah! Maybe you're just finally starting to get that bottle and something's going in, but it's not going in fast enough and you're still kind of restless. Maybe, maybe there's a degree of contentment that your eyes are starting to drift or maybe you are so satisfied that you just find yourself laying against the chest of your Father God in heaven and saying, this is living. Where are you on the hungry baby scale? What's going on with that soul inside of you? Now, maybe the hungry baby doesn't work for you. You know, you're a dude or something and you're into monster trucks. I don't know. You got, you got some other image going in your mind. So, so here's what I'd like you to do. What picture would you use to describe the state of your soul? Maybe you don't want to go with a, with a baby and the condition of a baby that's fed and full. But what picture would you use? In fact, you might even want to be a little bit creative and take Psalm 131 and rewrite it for you. Rewrite it with your picture. And maybe yours doesn't say, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Maybe yours right now is saying, my soul is screaming like. And you fill in that blank. But I want you to take some time this week to think long and hard about the condition of your soul. And why? What will it benefit you if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your own soul? And the answer is no. Your soul matters to God, and it should matter to you. So take the time to think about the condition of your soul, because quite honestly, we can't go on talking about what to do if we don't even know where we are yet. So take some time this week to think about the condition of your soul. Let's talk to our Father in heaven together. Oh, Lord God in heaven, I pray that we will be able to experience, if we've not experienced it already, the beautiful rest that comes when we calm and quiet our soul and we're able to take our head and lean it on your chest and just enjoy your presence the way a baby enjoys being full and content and completely satisfied. Meet us where we are. I know you always do. Help us to be honest about where we are. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. And as we hear you speaking the truth, help us not resist it or distort it. Help us to hear you and be completely changed. In Jesus' name, amen. As our servers move to the back to receive the morning offering, uh, you'll notice on the inside of your folder, this is the first week that we didn't put an envelope in there. It's okay. Uh, Again, you can just place your offering straight in there. Uh, If you need, the only times you'll need the envelope, again, is if you want to uh, claim cash on your taxes or if you're mailing it in. So if, or if you want to grab some because you just prefer the privacy or you like to use the spots on the envelope to designate it, uh, to designate where your tithe goes, you can go ahead and do that. So our servers will come receive that now uh, as we talk about our summer activities. Now, 
as for summer, we have, again, in that uh, bulletin that you got on the way in, there's all kinds of stuff going on. So I encourage you to check those out. The next one that we have is next Sunday. So next Sunday, we are going to flood Culver's at about noon, right after second service. And Dave McPhee told me after first, or after first service that um, apparently there was an accident where a truck lost, you know, a truck got hit by an Amtrak train and lost thousands of pounds of bacon this week. The good news is that the butter burgers and the cheese curds were not affected. So, uh, again, we can load up on those. And, again, it'll be just a really good time to uh, connect and have some just incredible food. So make sure uh, to get involved with that. Also, with summer for students, our eighth graders are moving up tonight, which is really exciting. So, again, if you, are, if you were an eighth grader and now you're a freshman, I see a couple of you in the room. You're joining us uh, here tonight. This will be actually this week um, with both Revive and Refuge. We're going to have a two-hour time slot. So tonight, Ref, uh, Revive will meet from 6 to 8. Refuge will meet a half hour earlier this week, 6.30 to 8.30. And then we're going to kick it into a summer schedule that all the kids will be receiving. It will be posted online. Everything will be good to go. Uh, but So this week is the last week of somewhat normal times just to let our, uh, our newbies have an opportunity to see what the general nights are like. Uh, <clears throat> I also would encourage you to check out the website to go to the Journey Group tab and sign up for our, um, our soul-keeping uh, Journey Group. So this will be, in addition to our series, uh, we'll get a video from John Orberg just to get some supplemental teaching on what happened on Sunday. And we'll also uh, be going through how to handle our... Um, Soul challenges that we're going to be getting. So, speaking of challenges, we have one coming right now. So, get ready for that. You uh, a soul exercise. We're talking in terms of caring for your soul. I want to give you an exercise that you'll work through. Uh, just to try and be practical. And I know I've already given you those those questions, and um, the questions aren't the soul care exercise. Okay, this is something that's different. So. Um, if you're going to care for your soul, one of the things that you're going to have to do is something that you probably won't like doing. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. As evangelicals, we like to re rewrite that a little bit. Read the Bible and know that I am God. Serve and know that I am God. Get really activistic and know that I am God. And yet, God himself, mind you, this is God himself speaking. Be still and know that I am God. And so your first soul care exercise is to carve out some time to simply be quiet. I would like to suggest that you try 10 minutes. 10 minutes of no talking, no music, no noise. Ten minutes of just being, I mean, some of you are doing like buckwheat eyes on me. You know, what? You kidding me? Really? Um, ten minutes of just being still. Being still and knowing that I am God. So think about how that would work in your day. For some of you, you have kids. And you could be still if you ship them out. Well, that's not going to work, right? So you're going to have to try to do something else. 
So it may be waking up a little earlier or staying up a little later or going ahead sometime in the middle of the day and finding that quiet time. But 10 minutes of just absolutely being quiet and knowing that God is God. We all need stillness, silence, and solitude in order to grow our souls. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, I'm going to the monastery for 30 days. You can do this for 10 minutes. If 10 is hard, do five. Now, here's what I encourage you to do. Practically, go ahead and set a timer. Set a timer for 10 minutes. Here's what I found when I first started doing this. First of all, if you're checking your phone for your clock, inevitably, somebody will text you at about that point. And the silence is broken. So this isn't going to work. Or even just glancing in a clock. Sometimes that can be a little distracting. You don't want to be focusing on the time because, because what happens is you start really honing in on the second hand and how slow it moves when you're doing nothing. Click, click, tick, tick. So set a timer for 10 minutes and then just be still, be quiet. You'll be blown away. You'll have gone for about 45 seconds and you'll think you had been there for two and a half years. You haven't. Be still for 10 minutes. Now, this is going to happen to somebody, and I would say probably a lot of you. You're going to fall asleep. And you know what you need to do? Receive that as a gift from God. I'm serious. You are running so hard that when you finally put your body in neutral, it said, I need sleep. It's a message. It's a message. But if you want to stay awake... Let me give you some prompts that might help you to just kind of keep focused. So as your mind starts to drift a little bit, you might just bring back that line. Be still and know that I am God. Just say it in your head. Be still and know that I am God. And keep going back to that. Be still and know that I am God. I promise you after you do this two or three times, you're not, you're not going to go, Whoa, the radical benefits. I can't believe how monstrously I'm changed. This is, this is one of these, it's just cumulative Over the course of time, you're going to start seeing some slowing take place in your life that's really healthy and beautiful. And you're going to start to appreciate still moments a little bit more. But it takes time. Let me give you another thing that you might try. Again, I don't want this to be all, you know, you're memorizing Bible verses or something like that. This is just a time to really focus on the stillness, the quiet, and the solitude that brings to mind who God is. But you might take that verse and break it down like this. Just go be still and know that I am God. And then be quiet for 30 to 45 seconds in your head. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I. Be still and know. Be still. Be. I'm telling you what, the first couple of times I did this, it's just incredible. The things that, when you hear that different word at the end, but you hear God saying it, when you hear God say, I am, and it throws your mind back to the Old Testament where, Jesus, where God says, I am that I am. I am God. Or just that simple word, be. How often do we, you know how we would write it? Do. Just be. Just be in my presence. 
Be that kid who takes your head and rests it on my chest and enjoys the presence of your Father in heaven. So if this prompt works for you, go ahead and do that. But the bottom line is, I'd like you to try 10 minutes. For some of you, 10 minutes, you're going, that is a lifetime. I will never, you just asked me to run a marathon. Okay, try three, try five. Figure out what will work for you and try to do it every day this week. See what happens. See, see what happens to your soul as you start to incorporate some solitude, silence, and stillness. And again, look at what, you know, that's a command of Scripture. Be still and know that I am God. This isn't like, okay, if you want to be hyper-spiritual, try this. He's saying to all of us, be still and know that I am God. So, you didn't talk about butter burgers and cheese curds in this one, did you or did you? You did? Sorry, I was focusing on other things. I can't believe people do that while people speak. Why don't you go ahead and stand up? Stand up. Because you're going to need the exercise for next week as you get ready for taking in all that junk. We're going to pray together. Now, Father in heaven, I thank you so much for being able to spend some time together in your presence with other people who love you. And I pray that you will help us to find the quiet time this week, the time alone to be still, to enjoy solitude, to be silent, and to just know it. Know that you are God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being here today. We'll see you. In my wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Whoa, you are the peace in my troubled sea.